Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Do you struggle with the wickedness of this world and wonder if God will ever do anything about it? This was a question the prophet Habakkuk struggled with in 600 BC and many of us do today. The problem of wickedness in this world is not an easy question to answer, but the Bible ultimately assures us that God will deal with it and when He does, it will not go well for the wicked. But the good news is, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be spared of all this. Let's join Pastor Jim in Habakkuk chapter 2 in part 3 of his message, the 11th commandment and the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, talking about God the Father being seen in the person of Jesus Christ, says this in verse 3, Hebrews 1, 3, who, Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, another version says the exact representation of the invisible God and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by, by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's why Jesus said, people said, show us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Colossians chapter one, the apostle Paul was explaining a mystery that was revealed to the followers of Jesus. Not some mystery like we can never know what it is, but a mystery that was once concealed is now revealed to us and he says this, Colossians 1.27, to them, those who trust in Jesus, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if Christ is the glory of God, and Christ, when you put your trust in him, comes to live inside of you, you, did you know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are a glory container, that you carry the glory, and when the glory of God comes to inhabit the earth, you will be part of it. The fourth woe is the woe to the shameful. Not, not someone who feels shame, and thank God Jesus took our shame away at the cross, and, and we takes a while for some of us to, to, to be able to really process our way through that as the Lord, by his grace, brings us along, some quicker than others, that's okay. But when he says, woe to the shameful, we're talking about someone who causes shame for other people. Verse 15 through 17, we begin with the evidence. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor. Is that you're like, oh no, I offered my friend a beer. No, that, that's not what that is. It could be for the intent purposes of getting them drunk, but it could be also sometimes they would put, when they would conquer nations, they would give people drink and they would drug them. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look upon his nakedness. So the Babylonians were, were known for drunkenness and, and they would drag, they would get people, they would get drunk, they would get people drunk, they would drag them into their, into their sexual practices, their captives. Verse 16, the result, you are filled with shame instead of glory. That's bad news in light of verse 14, isn't it? You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink, it's now God's saying, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. 
and be exposed as uncircumcised. Now that's meant to be graphic. Some of your versions might clean that up. That's meant to be graphic. To be circumcised would be one of the people of God. And so you're gonna, he says, you're going to reveal yourself when you get naked that you are not one of the people of God. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you. Another version says, will come around to you and utter shame and utter shame will be on your glory. Another version says, and vomit will be upon your glory. Verse 17, for the violence done to Lebanon, now a lot of different thoughts about that, but one thing when we read about Lebanon in the Bible is the, is the rich land, and, and it could be, he's saying, you raped the land too. You raped the people, you raped the land. You destroyed the environment. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, or another version says will overwhelm you, and the plunder or the destruction of beasts, of animals, which made them afraid. And then God tells them why he judges. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. It's what you did to people. That's why. Now, it seems to me here that the Lord is talking about those who take advantage of the vulnerable, particularly here, those who are predators, especially sexual predators. And today, hard to believe in this day and age, and hard to believe that what I'm about to say is even big in the United States of America, that sex trafficking and sexual exploitation is huge and it's big business. That's one of the reasons there's a few organizations out there that uh, ha, are, do this, that we, uh, both Pam and I do this individually and we do it here as a church. One of the groups that we give money to is International Justice Mission because they are involved in, in freeing people from that. And, and these people are feeding all kinds of different things. They're big into prostitution. They're big into pornography. And I know that these things are big problems in America. I mean, maybe not as many people are going to prostitutes or looking at, that are looking at pornography, but please understand this, friends, that when you engage in those things, you're supporting it. Some of you say, oh, that hurts, man. Maybe it's supposed to. Maybe it's supposed to. When you consume it, you're supporting it. And, and the Lord tells Habakkuk, the shame that Babylon brought on others will be brought down on them. Again, a story I've told before. You know, my dad took me to a Yankees game and then we went under the L. He's, he's from the Bronx and, and he showed me the prostitutes. I was about 12 years old. He goes, do you understand what those women are doing? Now, I'm older, so I didn't have a, a lot of this knowledge that the typical 12-year-old today has. And he said, those men are, are, are driving up to those women and, ask, and paying them for sexual favors. I'll never forget what he said. He said, a lot of those guys are married. And he said, son, let me, let me just say two things to you. Number one, that's the way weak men live. That's the way weak men live. And number two, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's sister. Would you want that for your sister? And I was like, no way, dad. 
maybe for me, that's part of the reason why God always gave me a disgust for that stuff. I know others of you didn't have dads like that. Your dad said, oh, let's go to a prostitute so you know how a man's supposed to act. That's, that's Babylonian. That's Babylonian. God seems to be saying throughout all of this, you're wondering how, how could he use the Babylonians to do such things to God's people? He seems to be saying, if I send you to punish wickedness in another nation, if I send you to punish wickedness in my own people and you do the same thing that I, to them that I sent you to stop, you're going to have to reckon with me. Or if you go overboard doing way more than I told you to do, you're going to have to reckon with me. You see, one of the problems of sin is sin seeks its own glory. How? By drinking from its own cup and then often trying to get others to drink from the same cup. And God looks the Babylonians straight in the eye, looks the shameful straight in the eye and says, guess what? You're going to have to drink from my cup. You make people drink from your cup. I'm going to make you Drink from my cup. Now, some of you think, that is really cruel. I'm in the front row cheering for that. I'm in the front row cheering for that. Where God says, you're not going to do that to people and get away with it. It is just not going to happen. I don't care if you beat the system. I don't care if you're so powerful that nobody can deal with you. You're going to deal with me someday. And I'm going to take care of that. And the cup symbolizes God's wrath being poured out, figure a full cup being poured out against sin. And thank God that was the cup that Jesus drank on the cross, that when we put our trust in him, the wrath of God against our sin is no longer against us. It is now poured out on Jesus. And our shame is taken away. Again, it may take time to process that. But you got to believe that one. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. It says, he went a little farther and fell on his faith and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of God's wrath upon all the woeful people of this world. And while you may think, well, I'm not as bad as the Babylonians, we all do possess a little something from each one of these woes, don't we? or maybe one or two. Three times Jesus said, would you please take this cup from me? He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, how do you know? How do I know that Jesus actually drank the cup? We know it in these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what the cup was. Separation from his father. But we also know that anyone, anyone, friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, who puts their trust in Jesus, who repents, who turns to God and puts their trust in Jesus, they turn from their sin to God. They look at the cross. They see Jesus taking the wrath, the cup, drinking the cup in their place for their sins, that if you do that, you will not drink that cup. You will drink the cup of salvation instead. Friend, you will drink one of two cups, either the cup of God's judgment or the cup of salvation. That takes us to the fifth woe. 
Um, the woe of the idolater. You see, it matters to God that your God is real. And he is the only living and true God. Now, Babylon, Babylon had plenty of religion. And they are a tremendous example to us that religion cannot save you. Verse 18 through 19, we get the evidence. We start with the evidence. What prophet is the image, some of your versions say the idol, that its maker should carve it? <laughs> okay. If you can make your idol, or if you know the book of Genesis, if you can sit on your idol and hide it, I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> the molded image, a teacher of lies that the maker or the craftsman of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols? God's like, what? Another version says, for, for its maker trusts in its own creation when it makes speechless idols. Never trust in a God that you can make. R result, verse 19. Woe to him who says to the wood, awake or come alive. To silent stone arise, it shall teach. Another version says, do you really think that you can make something and, and you can say to a block of wood, uh, arise? Do you really think it can teach you something? It, it, can, it can give you advice? And then God gives us the reason why he judges. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. Yeah, it might look good. Yet in it, there is no breath at all. And breath is symbolic of life. He says, listen, there's no life in your idol. There's no life in your God. And you trust it? God's like, are you kidding me? You're trusting it? Idols are gods that do not exist. They are all in the mind of the people who put their trust in them. We don't have time to do, go there now. We won't be out till the end of summer, but go to Isaiah chapter 44 for a great reading on, about how God feels about idols. And here he calls idols a teacher of lies. And sadly, what got the people of God into the mess that they were in was following the gods of the other nations because of their apparent success. And, you know, that's very easy for any of us to be sucked into. We watch the success of other people, and we think, well, they're not so smart. If I could just duplicate that, then success will be mine as well. And then we always say stuff like, and I'll be generous to God's work. That just never happens to people when you make your money that way. And, and the sin in our hearts gets us to long for that idol especially the sin of covetousness. Apostle Paul said that was the one that did him in, covetousness. But, but following the idols of a culture actually violates the trust between God and his people. Remember we said that God wants us to know him. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. And so God says, when you do that, when you follow the idols of your culture, that is a form of spiritual adultery and you're actually viewing God. I'm actually viewing God. We're all actually viewing God when we do that as being untrustworthy. Now it's interesting, this section begins with a taunt. You trust in idols and then it moves to the woe. All the other sections began with the woe. This one didn't. 
And 600 years later, after hours of the religious leaders taunting Jesus, when he's finally on the cross is when they move to the woe. Matthew 27, 43 says this. He trusted in God. Let him, let God deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. But it was trust in God that kept Jesus on the cross. The the essence of faith is that God calls his people to trust him at all times. The essence of unbelief is to trust in other things instead of God. But it's not just statues. The scripture talks about the idols of the heart. Remember we talked about identity earlier. A lot of people's identity is in money and sex and power. They trust themselves. They're trusting in their own intellect or their their beauty, their ability, their successes. And, And we said at the beginning, this is to trust in an identity that it is a part, that is apart from the Lord Jesus. And when we trust in an identity a trust from, apart from Jesus, that's when sin is born. And here's the reality. Every other identity eventually will crash. You know, the Babylonians thought that they were the king of the hell. They were rolling over everybody. Nothing could beat us. And I hate to say it, this country has dealt with a lot of that proud arrogance. And right now, we are in a state of real humility, or we should be. The essence of the guilty verdict on Babylon or anyone, judgment comes down upon those who refuse to accept the Lord as their ruler. Instead, what did they do? Here, they made their own idol. They, they trusted in something else without breath or without a brain, which allows people, listen, when you trust in an idol apart from God, that allows you to justify anything. I know in the business world, I came across more people who justified the goal of making money with their lies and their deceit constantly. And there's all other kinds of things. You, you could sit around at home with whoever you're with and you could talk about this later, about all the lies and deceit people justify Today, many people, really, a big one is they worship the idol of being happy. It's a big one in the church. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for being happy. Like, give me happy over misery any day of the week. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. But when that becomes an idol, that's sinful. Why? Because that will take you away from following the Lord. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple, probably speaking of heaven, let all the earth, let everyone keep silence before him. Isn't it interesting? Notice what the Lord has called us to. He's called us to humility. He has called us to holiness. He has called us to integrity. He has called us to sobriety. And now he's calling us to silence. Here, vanity and foolishness of following idols is compared with coming into the awesome presence 
of God who sits on the throne. Habakkuk began this book being frustrated that God was silent. And now the prophet tells us or hears from God that we must all be silent before the living God. Now Habakkuk is realizing that God is in control even when everything and almost everyone seems out of control. And today, if you need hope, if you need strength, if you need confidence like Habakkuk, come to the king who was Lord over all. And that will turn as we move into chapter three next week, wonderful chapter, that will turn the prophets complaining to prayer as he's gonna teach us a lot about praying. Habakkuk has come to the place where he no longer needs an explanation for everything from God. Why? Well, he told us last week, the just shall live by his faith. Psalm 11.4 says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. In other words, he watches and he sees. His eyelids test the sons of men. Friend, let me tell you, the Lord sees. The Lord knows what's going on. May we all be faithful followers of Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote this, Long after Habakkuk, after Jesus went to heaven, Romans chapter three, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. None of us are gonna be able to go to God and go, yeah, well, let me tell you a few things. That's not gonna happen. And all the world may become guilty before God. You know, that's what Jesus taught too, that everybody is guilty before God until they put their trust in him. And God says, listen, all the mouths will be stopped. Everybody will be silent. Everybody will accept the verdict. There will be, the, the, the evidence against us will be overwhelming against us. God will, te- he will, he will tell us what happened. He'll give us the reason why he makes the verdict that he does. Why? Because we didn't put our trust in his son. Many of us have heard someone say, can I see some identification? What does yours say? Does your spiritual identification say I reject God and I do my own thing? Or does it say that I'm a follower of Jesus and a child of God and I'm waiting for his glory? Will you face God? And you and I will. Will you face him? Trusting in yourself, which says that you remain guilty Or will you put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life with God in heaven, to be declared innocent in God's eyes and to get a new identity in Jesus Christ? The Old Testament prophets, Jesus and the apostles taught that we are all guilty before God, that we will all stand silent before the judgment of God. But there is very, very good news. The best news ever. That the Lord Jesus Christ has provided an equal opportunity for everyone in the whole world for the verdict to be overturned if you just want him to take your punishment, your sentence, your sins from you on the cross. That friend is for you if you're willing to put your trust in him. 
for you to be, if you do that, you and I will be part of that day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Yes, friend, that can be you. Today, my hope, my prayer is that we all open our spiritual eyes that we see right now. I was so grieved yesterday seeing the brokenness of this world, seeing the brokenness, seeing the virus, seeing the racism, seeing all the woes of this world and realizing and saying to God, God, it seems like the world is buckling under the weight of our sin. But friend, you can put your trust today in the king who is to come, who will hold up this world by the power of his glory. You will be able to experience a world where woes will be turned into eternal worship because the glory of the Lord will cover every inch of the earth and of heaven and we will be with our God. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862 217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world, and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.